Hi, this is Rachel Hine and Heather Levitis, Duke Plastic Surgery Residents on The Resident Review, a Duke Plastic Surgery podcast. This is a lecture series designed to aid in preparation for a yearly in-service examination. Our goal is to take you through high-yield topics along with experts in their respective fields in order to maximize your knowledge and potential scores. Stay tuned after the podcast for a brief message from our sponsors. And remember to visit www.theresidentreview.com to study along with our outlines. Today, we'll be continuing our quick hits series on orthognathic, TMJ, and chin. Woo. So Heather, why don't you get us started a little bit on whatever you want? (laughs) So, um, you know, we do need to know orthognathic surgery. So we'll start with palatal and alveolar fractures. Um, Treatment for isolated palatal fractures with no malocclusion, you can usually treat non-op. If you have an isolated palatal fracture that does include malocclusion, you want to do an open reduction and internal fixation of those fractures. If you have a comminuted palatal fracture, you can use a transpalatal approach. And then for alveolar fractures that are comminuted with malocclusion, you can use bridal wires versus microplates um, versus monocortical screws. Next, we'll move on to the maxilla. Um, So some relevant anatomy. The descending palatine artery is part of the blood supply, which of note can be disrupted during a Lafort. The ascending palatine also supplies the maxilla. It comes from the facial artery, which comes from the external carotid artery. The ascending pharyngeal artery also contributes, which comes from the external carotid. There's also a mucosal alveolar anastomotic network that supplies the maxilla. So then just going through some relevant orthognathic measurements. So remember the face is divided into horizontal thirds, upper from the hairline to the glabella, the middle third from the glabella to the subnasal, and the lower third of the face extends from the subnasality to the menton. So the SNA angle that we're tested on goes from the cella to the nasion to the anterior maxilla and normal is about 82 degrees. And then the SNB angle normal is 80 and it's formed from the angle drawn between the cella, the nasion and the B point, which is the supramental of the mandible. The Frankfurt horizontal plane is defined by a line from the superior edge of the external auditory meatus or the porion to the inferior orbital meatus or orbital. And then the A and B is just the difference between the SNA and the SNB or the position of the mandible relative to the maxilla. So on a cephalogram, the cranial base is defined by the cella nasion line, the Frankfurt horizontal line, and the Bayesian nasion line. The maxillary incisor plane um, is made up of the nasion and anterior maxilla, the maxillary incisor, and the palate. Now we'll go through some of the different angle classifications for occlusion. In angle class one occlusion, the mesiobuccal cusp of the maxillary first molar lies in the buccal groove of the mandibular first molar. In angle class two, the mesiobuccal cusp of the maxillary first molar is located mesial and anterior to the buccal groove of the mandibular first molar. There are two divisions of angle class two. In division one, the lateral incisors are flared labially. And in division two, the incisors are lingually inclined. In angle class three occlusion, the mesiobuccal cusp of the maxillary first molar is positioned distal to the buccal groove of the mandibular first molar. 
Centric occlusion and centric relations are other terms we kind of need to understand, and they are important for any elective orthognathic surgery because maximal intercuspation and proper mandibular condylar position is most likely to result in optimal occlusion after orthognathic surgery. Overbite is a measurement of vertical discrepancy, and then overjet is the horizontal component. All right, now I'll go through several pathologies. The first one is maxillary transverse deficiency, and this can present in young patients or skeletally mature patients. If this presents in a young patient, so prior to suture closure, you can perform orthopedic and orthodontic expansion of the palate. And a skeletally mature patient, the treatment is going to be with surgically assisted rapid palatal expansion or SARPI. So vertical maxillary deficiency, you'll see an ANS that is less than normal and normal is 52 to 57. You'll see an overclosed appearance and the appearance of an edentulous patient. The alar base will be wide and the mandibular plane acute. This is treated with a Lafort one osteotomy and interpositional grafting long face syndrome or vertical maxillary excess patients will present with long vertical facial height in the lower third, a narrow constricted alar base lip incompetence with excessive intralabial gap an excessive gingival and upper incisor show at rest and while smiling, the chin will appear long and retruded and the patients sometimes present with an anterior open bite. A cephalometric exam will reveal SNA and SNB angles that are smaller than normal and an A and B that is larger than normal. And sometimes this can also present with mentalis strain as the patients forcefully try to close their lips. Treatment is with a maxillary Lafort one osteotomy and impaction. And remember that the optimal incisor show, which we've been tested on several times is two to three millimeters, but up to four millimeters in a female. Lafort one advancement includes osteotomies at the levels of the apices of the teeth, the alveolar processes of the maxilla, the vault of the palate and the pterygoid processes. This is indicated when there is class three malocclusion or an SNA that is less than normal. This results in an increased nasolabial angle and a widened alar base. The upper lip will be shortened and the incisal show increased. Remember that the descending palatine artery, like Heather said, can be damaged in a Lafort one. And after the Lafort one, the main blood supply to the maxilla is the ascending palatine and the ascending pharyngeal artery from the facial artery. This is the most common orthognathic surgery to cause significant hemorrhage, which we've been tested on. And it is contraindicated in patients until skeletal maturity at the age of 18. If you need advancement greater than 10 millimeters, then that is an indication for distraction osteogenesis. You should not perform a Lafort. And then remember that the highest risk of VPI after Lafort is from Lafort one advancement after clefting of the lip and palate, which we've been tested on several times. A Lafort two, the osteotomies are made above the level of the apices through the pterygoid plates, the medial orbital wall, the orbital floor, and the nasofrontal junction. A Lafort three osteotomy passes through the nasal frontal suture, the medial orbital wall, the orbital floor, and orbital fissure, the zygomatic frontal suture, the pterygomaxillary, and zygomatic arch. In a patient or in children who undergo Lafort three, they typically present with recurrent pathology or maxillary hypoplasia due to minimal mid-face sagittal growth, but normal mandibular growth. This is indicated in patients with Pfeiffer syndrome and nasopharyngeal airway obstruction. So remember that a Lafort one is contraindicated due to the developing teeth. And remember that the difference between a monoblock osteotomy and a Lafort three is that the monoblock does not osteotomize the NF or ZF sutures. All right, Heather, why don't you take us through some other factoids? So just to reiterate, like Rachel said, distraction osteogenesis is indicated in patients that need maxillary advancement of more than 10 millimeters. So minimal disruption of the central medullary bone has been shown to be a core principle of distraction osteogenesis. This can be accomplished using a low energy corticotomy that divides only the bone cortex, thus optimizing the resultant bone formation. 
An external distracture is advantageous because it uses less operative procedures. And the latency period is typically five to seven days to begin your distraction. Moving on to mandible. Marginal mandibular nerve feeds the muscles and the inferior alveolar nerve also supplies some of the sensation to the skin. The mental nerve exits underneath the second premolar. So you can use that as a landmark when doing your blocks in the emergency department. Vasculature blood supply is from the inferior alveolar arteries plus periosteal perforators when fractured. The facial vessels come off at the inferior border below the first molar and the condyle itself is supplied by retrograde flow from the inferior alveolar artery. The TMJ joint is the growth center and specifically it's located in the condyles. It's susceptible to disruption of growth if you have injury to it. Goal anatomy, like we were talking about earlier, is centric relation in which the condyle is seated in the glenoid fossa and central occlusion where you have maximal intercuspation of the teeth. And then in terms of musculature that's relevant to the mandible, the lateral pterygoid pulls the condyle anteromedially. The medial pterygoid pulls the angle in the body and the genioglossus, which is supplied by the hypoglossal nerve, attaches anteriorly and pulls posteriorly. All right. Now we'll talk a little bit about elective mandibular surgery. Um, Our mandible fractures is covered in our mandible lecture. So for a sagittal split osteotomy, this can either be a setback or an advancement of the mandibular dentition for hypoplasia or hyperplasia. For an SMB that is less than normal, you will provide a BSSO in advancement. For an SMB that is greater than normal, you'll provide a BSSO in setback. And remember, you can perform a Lafort 1 and BSSO together for a small SNA and a large or small SNB, depending on if you're advancing or performing a setback. For genioplasty evaluation, the first step is evaluation of occlusion. After that, you can decide which procedure you're going to perform. We are frequently tested on this. A jumping genioplasty addresses both the vertical height and the sagittal deficiencies. So a transverse osteotomy will remove vertical height. Um, You can transpose anteriorly to address sagittal deficiencies. And again, this is for vertical excess with sagittal deficiencies. An interposition genioplasty is for vertical abnormalities and a sliding genioplasty is performs for sagittal deficiencies or abnormalities such as a large chin and has a very little vertical component. Just remember that occlusion is normal in pure retrogenia and chin implantation is recommended to increase the AP projection. For chin implant materials, you can use a porous polyethylene prosthesis. Remember, this has more tissue in growth, or you can use a solid silicone implantation, which may form a capsule around it. It can move a little bit more, but it is easier to implant and explant, as you can imagine. Complications of genioplasty include increased lower incisal show from improper and adequate repair of the mentalis muscle, which we've been tested on, and numbness of the lower lip due to a mental nerve injury. Heather, can you talk to us a little bit about the TMJ? So the TMJ is a hinge sliding joint or a, don't laugh, ginglimoarthroidal joint, (laughs) and it has both a hinge and sliding component during jaw opening. TMJ pathology is most common in women ages 20 to 40. Some um, etiologies of TMJ disease include articular disc subluxation, When the posterior attachments of the disc become attenuated or ruptured, the disc then subluxes anteriorly and relocates. And this presents kind of like as a clicking. An MRI is the gold standard. You can also use an ultrasound to confirm pathology in the joint. Treatment for kind of early stage disease is generally conservative with NSAIDs, a bite block, and physical therapy. 
Ankylosis is destruction of the articular disc with fibrosis, narrowing of the joint space and or bony fusion. This is most commonly caused by trauma. Surgical reduction of the articular eminence is indicated for patients who have symptomatic locking of the mandible. You can do an intercapsular disc repositioning and reduction of the articular eminence as an approach. A vascular necrosis of the joint or of the condyle uh, presents with limited jaw motion with devascularization. You can also be consulted and see acute TMJ dislocation, which is anterior extension of the condyle beyond the eminence of the joint with hypermobility. So in order to relocate the condyle, you want to reduce the mandible by um, providing downward and posterior pressure. And this is best done under sedation. Trust me. Okay. (laughs) You can also have TMJ pathology in patients with rheumatoid arthritis. Patients generally present with tenderness, swelling, decreased motion in the joint, which results in joint destruction and ankylosis. And if this develops in a child, it can actually lead to erosion of the condyles and which then leads to progressive mandibular retronathia and an open bite. Internal TMJ derangement is defined as an abnormal relationship between the articular disc and the mandibular condyle and is often associated with anterior displacement of the meniscus and posterior superior malpositioning of the condyle. So in terms of symptoms, the most common is pain on palpation of muscles of mastication. You may also have an anterior open bite or pain with chewing and the clicking noise we talked about. In terms of diagnosis, you can do an ultrasound guided arthrocentesis, which you can also use to help with discomfort. You can do a dynamic MRI, which is another good imaging modality to assess TMJ disease. Or if you're concerned about osseous changes or ankylosis, you can use a CT scan. And like I said, treatment is generally conservative. Oh, goody. I get the teeth. So remember we're frequently tested on the order of eruption of permanent teeth, and it's different for the mandibular and maxillary teeth. So for the maxillary teeth, the last tooth to erupt is the third molar, which is the wisdom tooth. And beyond that, you'll see the second molar and the second premolar and first premolar and canine as coming later. So if those are the ones that erupt later between 11 and 12 years, The first tooth to erupt in the maxillary dentition is going to be your first molar at six to seven years, followed by your central incisor for your lower teeth. The last teeth to erupt again will be your wisdom teeth your third molar at 17 to 21 years. The other ones that are delayed anywhere from 10 to 13 years are the second molar, the second premolar and the first premolar. And then the first teeth to erupt is the first molar again, and the central incisor teeth sensations. The infraorbital nerve gives sensation from the canine to the second premolar via the anterior superior and middle superior alveolar nerves. The posterior superior alveolar nerve supplies the molars. The inferior alveolar nerve gives sensation to hemimandibular dentition. So that's a little more straightforward. And then finally, a little bit more on teeth. So the canines or cuspids have the longest roots of 27 millimeters. They're most likely to be injured during a Lafort osteotomy. And then for a couple miscellaneous facts, remember that for obstructive sleep apnea, the first line treatment is CPAP or continuous positive airway pressure. The procedure known as UP3, which we've already discussed in a previous podcast is a surgical option. And then if obstruction persists, despite this surgical management, you can consider maxillary and mandibular advancement, which is generally extremely effective for obstructive sleep apnea. 
So that concludes our orthognathic lecture by your orthognathic experts. Thank you for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed it. We would like to thank Allergan for their continued support of our podcast. Allergan Aesthetics is now part of AbbVie, an international leader in many different therapeutic categories. Many of the topics and therapies we discuss on our podcast are provided by Allergan. They continue to be a leader in the fields of breast reconstruction, abdominal wall reconstruction, medical aesthetics, and much more. Additionally, they are dedicated to supporting the education of plastic surgery residents and plastic surgeons across the country.